I'm glad this is audio only. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directly. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Wichmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 52 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Rubelke. Hello. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Ward Bell. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Uh, before we introduce our guest, I, I have a couple of quick announcements. One is I just launched uh, Rails Clips, which is a video series about Ruby on Rails. Um, half of the episodes will be free. The other half will be subscription. So you can go check those out right now. I have a few episodes up and there will be more every week. The second announcement is that I put up the talks for JS RemoteConf. I'm putting one out every week on its own RSS feed. And you can go check that out at RemoteConfs with an F or with an S at the end dot com. And finally, I'm looking for companies that need help getting started or getting traction with testing. So if you know a company that uses Ruby on Rails and is struggling with testing, let me know. I'm looking for opportunities where I can actually come in in person and help them out. Our guest this week is Jack Doyle. Hey, guys. It's an honor to be here. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. Jack Doyle with uh, GreenSock. And uh, basically, GreenSock makes tools that are for animating the web. So we kind of have a background in Flash. And I'm sure on this show, that's that's probably like a, a boo moment if you can queue up the uh the soundtrack right um (laughs) no but it actually was a a great great learning experience and uh like flash a lot but you know these days we've pretty much completely moved over to the uh the open web and html5 and javascript and css and loving it so uh you know green sock we've made this the suite of tools that hopefully makes your job easier when it comes to animating the web so this library used to be a Flash library and is now a JavaScript library? Exactly, yeah. I mean, technically we have both currently. So there's an ActionScript version and a, a JavaScript version. But, of course, the, the JavaScript version is, is really where all the, uh, the action is these days. 
I also want to clarify before we get started. I'm sure somebody's going to say GSAP or GSAP. That is GreenSock's animation platform. Exactly. Yep. So we're talking about the same thing. I just want to know what green sock, where the word green sock comes from. Why not red sock <laughs> or or blue sock? Oh gosh, that that takes me back to the. It's every time I tell this story, it's like slightly different, I, and I always forget little details. But no, it basically comes down to you know when I I started the company, it it was way back when you know dinosaurs were roaming the earth and the internet was uh, kind of beginning, and you know we were helping clients to take a step into you know engaging the web, but we don't actually take the step for them, but we make it a lot more warm and cozy. So we're more like a sock. We, we don't, we're not like a leg or a foot where we, you know, we take the step for the client where we made that, uh, made it easier for them and more comfortable. So, and green's the color of, of growth and prosperity and, and that kind of fun stuff. So that's the short version of the story. I get it. I get it. It's, it's very meta. I just had a Zen moment. Let me just <laughs> on that for a moment. So I've been using GreenSock for years, I think, yes, since dinosaurs were roaming the earth. Could you give us kind of the condensed version of how GreenSock just came to be? And then uh, just a little bit of commentary on the challenges of porting that from ActionScript to JavaScript. Sure. Yeah, well, my background's all in design, believe it or not. Uh, I didn't take a single computer science class or anything like that. Worked at an ad agency. And so we, you know, I'm going to fast forward through a lot of years of doing print-based stuff, but then, you know, the internet happened. And and so then I started working with some bigger agencies doing banner ads and that kind of thing. And there were no tools that I could find that would do what I needed them to do. You know, when you're dealing with banner ads, and I don't think anybody really likes banner ads, but they really drive a lot of the web. And there are very strict file size requirements. And of course, performance is really important as well. So I just kind of created this thing called Tween Light back in the day. And, you know, for my own projects for the, uh, the ad agency I was working for. And, you know, I figured, hey, maybe there are some other people out there that could use it. So I kind of tossed it out there on the web on just a, a, a terrible looking blog-ish site. And it started to get traction and, you know, people started using it and liking it. And then they would request features and I'd bake them in and then put it out there. And it just kind of got a lot of traction. And then, you know, there came a point where there were so many people using it and uh, you know, there are business critical applications kind of depending on it. And, you know, it was taking more and more of my time. And so I kind of had to figure out, you know, how am I going to do this? And am I uh, uh, going to work at the the ad agency? Is that my primary thing? And then I just kind of do this on the side. And if that's the case, then I only have a certain number of hours in the day that I can devote to this. And so, you know, I've seen a lot of open source projects out there that kind of uh, stagnate and die because the very thing that kills them can actually be their success because there are so many people that then start depending on it and asking for new features and that kind of stuff that the author gets overwhelmed and it's like, uh, you know, I, I've got my day job and then I got this thing and it's growing into this big monster that I can't, I don't have time to maintain. And so it, it gets stressful. And, and so I didn't want to really go down that path. And I figured I, there was a, a fork in the road and I, I figured I got to figure out a way to to make this a win-win and, uh, you know, I don't want to leave my users out there hanging. And so, you know, I created GreenSock 
And I don't, you didn't really ask about the club stuff or the licensing stuff, so I don't want to get too far into that. But that's kind of where it came from and, and trying to make something that was protected from, or at least my attempt at protecting it from some of the common killers of, of open source stuff. So uh, I, I just I kind of took a step away from the ad agency and, and started doing the stuff full time. And, uh, you know, an animation engine is a bit of a unique beast in the, the open source world because it's, it's not, in a way, it's a one-trick pony, but it's, it's not really because there are so many things that you can animate and there's so many moving targets and, you know, features and things that people want that it's not just a, a really a one-off thing that you can put out there and everybody uses it and it's just, you don't really need to maintain it very much. There have been <laughs> many years of you know research and and kind of fine tuning this thing and listening to customers and you know hanging out in the forums and hearing what they want and trying to to build that into the tool set while at the same time keeping it really fast and really lean so that's basically where greensock was born was this animation thing that I built for myself and just kind of became something a lot of other people wanted to use and and I kept building it up so i'm i'm wondering a little bit you know we have uh, animations or transforms anyway in CSS, did that put a dent in your business at all? Or does this go like way beyond that? First of all, we, we had the Flash thing first. Right. And we didn't do anything with JavaScript for, for a long time. Um, so transitions and CSS animations kind of pre-existed. When we jumped over to the JavaScript side of things, they were there already. In fact, I was kind of excited. I did, read all these articles about how fast they were. And, you know, being native in the browser and kind of leveraging the, the power and speed of those was something that I definitely wanted to use to actually build Greensock on top of. And so that was the first thing I tried to do, in fact. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a competing thing. There were a lot of things in transitions and CSS animations that you couldn't really do. So I figured Greensock could supplement that and kind of build on top of it. But uh, I ran into a, a lot of problems with that. And so I quickly discovered that uh, that was pretty much impossible for me to have the kind of features that, that our audience really needs, build that on top of CSS transitions and animations. And so that's why we kind of went the full-on JavaScript direction. Yeah. One other thing that I want to ask about before we get into like how it works is who is it really aimed at? Like Who are the people that are going to look at Greensock and go, oh, I need this? as opposed to people who are going to go, oh, that's interesting, another animation library. Yeah, that's a great question. And there are really two types of users out there that I've, I've seen. I, um, there are those that are, are doing kind of UI animation where it's simple, you know, make the button glow or wiggle or, you know, click on something and it slides over maybe. Uh, and that's the extent of what they're doing. And I think those people may look at Greensock and kind of scratch their head and go, well, okay, cool. Uh, it's yet another animation library. And it seems like there's one, you know, every few weeks that comes out. So they might greet that with a yawn. But then there are the guys that are, and gals that are in, they really are at the cutting edge of web technology and immersive interactions in, in websites. And so the things that Flash used to do are, you know, those, the people that were doing those in Flash love our tool set. So, um, you know, Lucas, it sounds like you were doing a lot of that kind of stuff. 
And yep. so many of those people would come over and they would look at the technologies that were, you know, like the CSS transitions and CSS animations and jQuery animate. And it was very frustrating for them. They felt like, you know, their wings were clipped and they couldn't do what they used to be able to do to create all this amazing immersive interaction in the browser. And so that's really the audience that tends to love what Greensock offers. But then, you know, I don't want to make it sound like that's the only people that this appeals to because we also, as part of what we're doing is we try to solve real world problems that actual animators have, you know, so there are browser inconsistencies. There are things like, you know, if you're trying to animate SVGs and, you know, transforms can be a major headache if you're trying to rotate something or, you know, make it spin around its center or whatever. There, there are a bunch of tasks that you might think you could just use CSS animations to do, but then you run into the fact that, oh, you know, well, Firefox doesn't support that or it's, you know, I won't get into all the bugs, but there are a lot of them out there. And so with GreenSock, you know, our goal was to make it just work. So you can tell it to animate whatever you want. And we handle all of that gobbledygook underneath to sense when we have to do some fancy footwork to, to just deliver the experience that you're asking for without all the headaches. So even if you're doing simpler stuff in the browser, it doesn't mean that GreenSock isn't for you because we still do solve all those other problems. But kind of the sweet spot, the, the people that tend to love us the most are the ones that are the, the really highly building dynamic interactions uh, in the browser. What kinds of applications do those tend to be, Jack? Applications? That's, I guess, or, or the, is it in websites? In other words, what kinds of uh, things are people are doing where they can really benefit from the, from the kinds of uh, animations and visualizations that you're talking about? Well, there are uh, you know, various awards sites where they, you know, like the uh, FWA awards and sites like that that are geared towards finding just the coolest websites out there and, you know, giving them awards. And so last several years, the site of the year, they've used GreenSock to do their stuff. But I don't want to paint this picture like it's only for people that are doing super high-end stuff with things flying all over the screen and WebGL and, and that kind of stuff. There are plenty of people that are building, you know, apps that are, you know, run on phones or games. You know, we have some of the biggest gaming companies use GreenSock for their interfaces. So, you know, gamers tend to, to really like GreenSock as well. So it's a tough question for me to answer because, uh, you know, I, I don't want to pigeonhole things too much. Uh, but sure. again, the, the people that are, are really pushing things and they need a tool set that is very flexible and performant, those are the people that appreciate GreenSock the most. So, Lucas, how have you been using GreenSock? I was hoping you would ask that. So <laughs> I have actually a few posts on my blog, 100mind.com, that actually leverages a GreenSock. So some various like photo album widgets and some full-page slideshows and some different things. And where GreenSock is really, really handy is when you actually need to do dynamic animations based on the state of your application or the sequence or the type of interaction that a user has. So for instance... If you're going through a slideshow and you either going, are going to the previous slide or the next slide, you may want to animate that differently. 
So maybe from left to right or right to left or even up or down or vice versa. Well, using GreenSock, it's really easy to dynamically kind of calculate those variables and then set that animation on its merry way to do that. And so um, I think Angular did a really good job of how they set up animations and how that it actually works and that it just defers to however you want to do it. And so with that said, is I simply say, here's this event. Now, GreenSock, go ahead and animate. And here's maybe some you know variables that you'll need to do to actually calculate, for instance, like your starting point and your end point. And uh, it's some really nice kind of just you can do full-blown like immersive web applications or websites like, you know, we used to do on Flash. But even just having, you know, a menu come in, you know, really nice and clean and, and snappy from a certain way or whatever is, is really quite easy to do with GreenSock because you just kind of delegate and then you can calculate your animations on the fly and go from there. So how does that intersect Angular? Like, and do you tend to build these into your own custom directives that wrapper these, or or do you just do it as needed in a certain places? How does Angular and GreenSock come together? So I'd like to chip in right here. I have a fairly limited exposure to GreenSock, and I know that the question was directed at Lucas, but as I kind of learned and figured out GreenSock versus just doing raw animations myself, what I sort of felt like was that GreenSock is basically jQuery for animations. And I don't know, Jack, if you have an opinion on that label. You know, in, in a way, it's flattering because, you know, jQuery, everybody knows jQuery, and it's just kind of a, a go-to tool in many people's tool sets. So that's that's great. I, I, I like it in that sense. I always cringe a little bit just because jQuery's animate is, you know, their <laughs> animation capabilities are... are right. You know, Less than well, stellar. It's not just about the fact that everybody knows it. It's also the fact that the DOM has a terrible API. It has improved, but mostly it's the cross-browser stuff. Still, the raw DOM API is kind of rough. jQuery yes. wraps this awesome, easy-to-learn API, and it was really, I mean, I would heartily argue with anybody who disagreed with me because I'm definitely right on every opinion that I have. But it was <laughs> always it was jQuery that really enabled big web apps when yeah. you know people started doing javascript realized that it sucked and when frameworks like jquery started coming out people thought hey you actually can do cool things with javascript and yeah and the other thing i love about that is that jquery shields you from a lot of the you know the inner workings and the hassles the day-to-day -day stuff where yes. you just say here's what i want and then you know jquery handles it and and it just works the way that you want it to work like, oh my gosh, can I please rant about animations in the browser? Like, I would love for a nice description on what the difference is between a transformation and uh, animate. Let's see, a, there's JavaScript based animations. Yeah, then transitions. Like, there's four different kinds of things, and it's not obviously what's what. And it'd be, it's so nice to have a wrapper over that that makes it so you don't have to understand all these detailed inner workings unless you need to dig down and and do something, but man, it is so nice to use the stuff when you see GreenSock after you've seen the raw JavaScript to do the same thing. It's just great. Well, so Jack, do you do you like like if somebody has a, you have sort of an abstraction over a particular animation, and do you look into the browser and say, hmm, it's this, so I can I, I guess I have to fall back to this kind of JavaScript thing, but oh, I could use CSS here, or do you do that? You, you're making those kinds of decisions under the hood for me. Um, sort of, but we don't make the decision to use JavaScript or 
CSS animations. There are no CSS transitions or animations in GreenSock whatsoever because at their very core, they're quite limited in some ways that would prevent them from working in GreenSock. So, for example, we have uh, the ability for you to build out timelines. And, you know, so people often are familiar with tweens where you're saying, okay, here's the start state. I want to tween, you know, the top from this value to that value. So that's a tween. But then what happens if you want to have a, a lot of those? So, you know, tween the top and then I want to move it over to the left and then I want to change the color and then I want this to happen. And maybe they all kind of overlap in some way so they don't start at the same time, but they're kind of staggered. You know, if you start building that stuff up, it gets quite cumbersome in other technologies. And GreenSock, you know, we have a, a timeline that you can create and you can even nest timelines within other timelines. So it, it creates this nice layer of abstraction and it lets, allows you to modularize your your code, your animation code. So it's just so much easier to work with. And if we tried to do that with CSS transitions and animations under the hood, they don't allow you to to have the kind of controls. For example, if you with GreenSock, you can jump to any point and let's say you built out a, a 10 second banner type storytelling animation uh, with all sorts of things happening, you can say, I want to jump to exactly, you know, 5.3 seconds into that. And it renders it exactly the way that it should be at 5.3 seconds. And that's not really possible to do and to reverse things on the fly. So let's say you, you've got something that has already played 5.3 seconds and then the user clicks a button and you want that to go backwards to where it came from. That's virtually impossible to do with uh, CSS transitions and animations. So we do, to answer your question, we do a lot of those kinds of decisions under the hood, but it's not whether or not to use CSS animations. It's more about, you know, for example, if you're doing transforms, if you're rotating an SVG and it's in Internet Explorer, well, Internet Explorer does not recognize any kind of CSS properties or transforms, at least, on SVG elements. So we have to, instead of applying it on the CSS layer, there's a transform attribute for SVG elements. And so we apply it there. So that's the kind of stuff that we're doing under the hood that you don't have to worry about. You just say, rotate it to, you know, 35 degrees and it just works. But we're applying, if you looked under the hood in Chrome versus Internet Explorer, it might, you know, you might see it applied to the CSS in one and applied to the transform in the other. That's what you're that makes talking sense. about. Oh, oh, yeah, it does. I mean, I actually, uh, I mean, at the detail level, it's like, ah, run away, run away. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to know. I've got other things I'm trying to do. I just wanted it to move. So I definitely hear what Joe is saying and what the value is there. Do people push back and say, yeah, but can you use the GPU? Uh, and, and what's the present and the future on that? Or does it, or is that one of those red herrings where, where people say that's what they want, but they don't really know what they're asking for? No, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a, it's a great question. I think a lot of people wonder about that. Uh, it's a common misperception, actually. People assume that only the native, you know, CSS transitions and animations can leverage the GPU, but that's not the case. Um, in fact, we do that by default. If you animate the translation or the rotation or the scale using GreenSock, we automatically apply it on the 3D level. And when you do that, it will promote that element 
to its own GPU layer. And so that's, that's a browser-level thing. But the way that we apply the values tells the browser, hey, this thing should get its own GPU layer uh, so that then it performs much better, especially on mobile devices. So earlier you asked, why would somebody use GSAP in Angular? And that's one of the benefits is that you just kind of automatically get the GPU promotion, the layer promotion, whenever you animate transforms with GSAP. That's good news. Actually, my question was about the Angular intersection was somewhat different. I was just I was trying to understand how when you're writing, you know, you're writing an Angular app, you would say, and now is the moment in which I turn the wheel over to Greensock, and I, and and I was wondering how that, where you know, as an Angular developer, where that takes place. And, so I can answer that, and that's what I was hoping somebody would do. So I'll, let me answer that. With Angular, you have the ng animate module which then you get a convenience method on your actual module instance that is dot animation. And from there, you will give your animation that you're defining a name. And so it's all CSS class-based. So if you're doing JavaScript or CSS, it'll still be this dot kind of class name notation. But from there, then you define essentially the event hooks that you want to animate on. So for instance, you might have an add class and a remove class, and then you can define an animation for each one of those events. So when a class gets added to an element, then ng-animate will pick that up. So essentially it's kind of a class-based directive and say, hey, this thing is fired. Here's your element that we're going to animate on. Here's the class name that was added and then a done callback. And so from here, then using element, I can actually have access to the scope, doing element.scope and calling that scope paren. So you're calling the scope method to get that instance. And then from there, you can say, well, what is the state of the scope? So I might say, you know, if I set a direction property on that scope, right or left or whatever, I can make some calculations. And then I can call, uh, for instance, like tweenmax and say, tweenmax.2, and then I'll pass in the element that was provided by ng-animate in the add class event, and I can say animate this element, let's say for like a half a second, and then here is my animation kind of configuration object. So I might say, you know, go left by you know 500 pixels, and then on complete, execute this done callback to let Angular know that this animation has completed. Okay, so if I were to try and boil that down, let me let me play it back to you. My gateway to this, my Angular gateway to this is is ng animate, mm-hmm. and then I take advantage of some event hooks inside ng animate to express my intention and f- and then delegate that on to uh, Greensock uh, components. Yep, and so that is actually how animations work in Angular across the board. So I personally prefer Greensock, and so most of my animations are in uh, their JavaScript using Greensock. But, for instance, Matthias, who wrote ng-animate, he's more fond of CSS animations. And so he will simply, once the event is fired, then he'll defer it to something like animate.css. And so, to summarize, animations in Angular using ng-animate is nothing more than a set of events that you can then hook into and you defer the entire animation to whatever you want to use it. And so once that event has been fired, then it's like, hey, this thing happens, this method gets called, and within that, then you can 
for instance, look into like tween max and say, animate this element and do these things, whether it's left or right, fade in like a 3d transform or, you know, whatever you can imagine you can accomplish within that event handler. Got it. Now, Jack, is is that kind of approach how people do it when they're not using Angular? I mean, you know, if they're using some other thing like I don't know React or something, it's that same pattern. You're looking for the whatever their UI framework is to have a an animation moment, a hook, and then they start invoking Greensock, or or or, or, or is there some other way in which Greensock is used more widely? Well, Greensock really we we try to take a hands off approach. On you know you build your stuff however you want to build your stuff and Greensock is just kind of it it owns the animation layer there so you can sprinkle it on top of really anything so at its core any animation is simply changing values uh, hopefully sixty times per second and that's it so it doesn't matter if it's the you know CSS property top or left or you know whatever Greensock doesn't have some predefined list of here are the allowable things you can animate. You just point it at an object and you tell it what property you want it to animate and it will do it. So it can even be a custom JavaScript object with a custom named property. It could care less. And so if it's React, if it's Angular, if it's you know right in the, the DOM, it doesn't really matter. So as far as where you put your logic for you know react versus angular versus some other options you know greensock doesn't really care you can write it, it however you want got it so let's suppose you're an animation noob and, and you're just afraid of this whole thing because that pretty much describes me I, chuck are you are you with <laughs> me on this and like yeah uh, it's like, like okay well i i uh, mostly what I'm doing is I'm just uh, taking this thing off the screen and putting that on the screen, and it looks jerky, and I wish it was better, but uh So I want to kind of get in, but I want to get into the water without drowning. What's my pathway? Uh, it's, it's a great question, and there are a, a lot of learning resources out there. I'd say probably the best place to start is just the Getting Started page on our website. And, you know, that has a video right at the top. So you can sit there and watch the video, and it kind of outlines the basics of how to get up and running. And then, you know, there's an ebook that just came out about GSAP. There's, you know, there are classes you can go to. Peter Tichy is, is uh, putting out a, a whole new course very soon. So there, there are a lot of resources out there. Sarah Drasner has been writing quite a bit about Greensock. So... Hopefully, it's not too terribly difficult to get up and running, but there is a little bit of a, a learning curve. But what we typically hear is that there's this moment at which, you know, you spend a little bit of time with it, and then you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, the light bulb goes on, and it's like, oh, this all makes sense now. I don't know, if Lucas, if, if you could speak to that much with your own experience, but we, we hear that relatively often because it's a little bit of a different mindset than somebody who's coming from a, a CSS animations or CSS transitions background, but which, which I assume you, you might be a little bit more familiar with. But, you know, once you I'm get it... I'm terrified of the whole friggin' mess. <laughs> I, I, I just want to program, and I just wish, uh, <laughs> I wish my, my thing looked better. And I, it's, it's shameful to admit it, but I, I think I have company. Yeah, I'm a total animation noob, so I'm with you there, Ward. But I think that most of us can kind of reason about, I have this element, and I want it to start here, 
and I want it to end here. And in that sense, I have found the uh, kind of the tween max, tween light APIs to be really easy. So, for instance, you have a two method that you can say, I want to take this element and I want to move it here. And then you simply define the values for the properties you want to animate within this object and you're good to go. Or you can even do to from, I believe, where you can say start here and then end here. And so when you start to look at your animations, it's purely here's my starting data structure. Uh, these are properties and values that I want it to have or that they currently have. And then this is the data structure that I want it to end up as. So, for instance, you know, saying property alpha equals zero and then going alpha to one, you know, that's just simply just setting a property on a data structure, which happens to represent something visually on the page. So for me, that's why I generally prefer programmatic animation over like CSS, you know, stylistic animation and going in that avenue because I do understand if I have a data structure with properties and I just change these properties to equal something else, then I get this transformation from kind of this point A to point B. And I think anybody who's ever written you know, any kind of software can understand that paradigm and then just apply it to something that has a visual representation within the page. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I, think I could manage that. Uh, uh, yeah, it's like graphing the, in my mind anyway, you know, I kind of see this graph where, you know, I want its orientation or, you know, its position or its, you know, transparency or whatever, you know, to change over time. And yeah, the way that the CSS does it has been somewhat counterintuitive to me. And so being able to basically set the interval and tell it to behave a specific way, you know, that really kind of makes a lot more sense to me, you know, from a programmer standpoint, because basically what I'm doing then is I'm telling it, this is the attribute I care about. And uh, here's the formula for it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. At, at, its, at its core, animation is really just, you know, a thing with its properties and you want to to change it over time so you give it a duration and the end values and you let it rip and if you want to customize that you can change the easing so the style at which it moves so if you want it to kind of ease out or ease in or you know there's elastic things so if you know which can be really nice if you're making something move from one place to another and it kind of wiggles back and forth at the final duration or right, the, the final cubic zirconium <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I love that tweeting equation I just call it cubic zirconium because I don't know what the heck you're talking about, but it makes me sound smart. And I can get that on the QVC network. <laughs> so, all right, I have a fun question for you, which is give me uh, some of your favorite animation atrocities. Atrocities? Oh, yeah, you know, gosh. the things, cause, cause, you, know, you know, the equivalent of the blink tag. It's painful, yeah. I mean, I think we've all seen things like that where you show up at a website and. You know, one of my pet peeves is just when things take way too long. And I don't mean loading time. I mean, somebody, it's kind of like if you give an artist a set of paints, they'll, they'll create a masterpiece. If you give that same set of paints to, you know, a four-year-old, you're going to get something very different. And so some sometimes people will go a little nuts with, you know, colors and painting, and they'll go a little nuts with animations where, you know, hey, I, I really love this thing spinning, so I'll make it spin for four seconds before it finally comes to a stop. Right. And I can actually get to do what I'm trying to do. I came to this website to do something, and it's like when animations get in the way, 
that drives me nuts. They should right. be there to help you, you know, move the experience forward and, you know, make it more intuitive and not get in your way. But I see animations get in the way all the time. Yeah, they were really cool, like when you first looked at them, but after you've seen it <laughs> six times, I've had enough already. I just would like to get there. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and by the way, that reminds me of something that, you know, workflow-wise, I don't think gets enough attention, and, uh, you know, which is if you're building an animation that takes a little while, and, you know, Lucas, maybe you've done this, I'm not sure many others have, but, you know, if, if you're doing, let's say you've got a, a 10-second animation, and you're building that out, and you're, let's, let's make it even worse, let's say it's a, a 60-second animation, and you're fi- you've, you've tweaked it all the way up until that last, you know, you're, you're finishing that final 10 seconds, and then, you know, you have to go back, you, you tweak some code, and then you go back to the browser, and you refresh, and you have to sit there through the first 50 seconds, which you've already looked at, a hundred times before and you know just so that you can get to that final 10 seconds to see oh do I need to tweak the timing a little bit or the easing and you know with with GreenSock it's super easy to just add one little line of code to say jump to you know 50 seconds into this animation so that every time you refresh the page that's all you have to see and it makes producing those animations a heck of a lot easier uh, you know for you when you're building them and then you just remove that line of code when you're done, and then let it rip, and and, and you're done. Actually, so I, I actually, could imagine that as being useful um, within, you know, in a production environment where you needed a, sort of a slow move in the beginning, but just to get the user oriented. But then mm-hmm. you could crisp things up from that point forward because they already, you know, had had that mental transition, and now they don't need that animation animation to go on, or any some other set of animations to go on so long. And I imagine you yeah. could tweak that on the fly, yeah? Yeah, for sure. And, and there's a time scale thing that you can apply to any tween, any timeline, any really anything in, in GreenSock so that you can, you know, let's say you built out this uh, animation, you can just say, I want that thing to play at twice the normal speed or half the normal speed or whatever you want. And you can even do a global time scale, which can be quite useful if, for example, you know, we got a question in the forums the other day from somebody who said, you know, I want my IE8 users to not really see animations. I want things to just happen immediately because that browser is so terrible. And, you know, for whatever reason, they just want it to make the animation go away. And if you set the time scale to a crazy high amount, that's really all you have to do. That's like one line of code. You could sense if it's IE8 and then say, I want the time scale to be 100. So that then you don't really have to change any of your other code. It just makes things look almost instantaneous. And vice versa, if you're tweaking things and you want to really zoom in on something in particular and you want it to run it, you know, a tenth of the speed, again, just during production, that's super easy to do. And I think animation is one of those things where it's, it's very experimental. You have to kind of play with it. You never know what feel, you know, is it going to be a 0.5 second tween or a 0.3 second tween? And those things, it might sound silly, but to, in the hands of an animator, that's a huge, huge deal. And to be able to kind of play with it and watch it and say, no, you know what, that's a little too fast or that's a little too slow. I, I need a different ease on that. Experimenting is so critical. So we, we try to make the tools so that it's easy to do that. I'm wondering, you mentioned that 
animations can help move the experience forward. And some of the things seem somewhat obvious to me, you know, have something slide in or slide out. But are there other areas of your application that you should be looking at or things that may trigger you to think, oh, yeah, I definitely need to be adding an animation here or I should at least be thinking about adding an animation to this part of my application? You know, I would say that, gosh, there's there's probably a list of them. Uh, and this isn't necessarily my area of expertise, but I would say intuitively, you know, things where you need to draw attention or, or you know, when you're changing state somehow to give the user a little clue about that. You know, so sliding something over to the, to the next screen or if there's an error, let's say they clicked the uh, submit button and there's some kind of an error. You know, if you animate the change of the... Uh, the button color or it wiggles a little bit or something like that. You know, if, if there's, you can sense, you know, put a timer on things so that if somebody's taking a really long time and you're wanting to move them forward in the process, maybe the submit button will give a little wiggle once in a while just to kind of cue the user that, hey, this thing over here is, is uh, you know, where you should be looking next, um, I think can be a, a nice effect that helps move things forward instead of just being animation for the sake of animation and impressing everybody. Will it add hey. glitter for Ward? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on that. That's a new plugin. Uh, okay. So no, no animation is complete unless you have audio and the animations in there too, and that's what Ward really wants. Well, there you go. <laughs> you guys are terrible. Uh, um, if, if I could jump move, in here real thing? quick. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I don't mean to, to bond here, but I think, it's, I think it's really important to call this out is in the Flash world and you still have this in JavaScript. You've got these full-page immersive websites, and I think those are amazing. And when they're done right, I think it's a great investment for somebody to go and produce those things, and they're really great. But where animations are also really important is in the scope of micro-interactions. And you know, so it's like Jack said that when you are giving subtle cues to the user, then doing that in a way that I think kind of conveys personality. So – you know, you're showing them an air and not just having it like just show up, but actually kind of fade in a little bit is it will affect how actually a person responds to that. And a good friend of mine, Shane Malky, who I've had the privilege of working in it on a lot of kind of award winning sites over the last, I think, probably 10 years is when he approaches animations is he tries to imagine the animation having a personality. And mm-hmm. so when you're having a conversation essentially with an application is how would that application, if it were a person, respond to the user? And so it's not going to say, you know, hey, you did this thing wrong and, you know, kind of scream at it. Lots of red. Lots of red. <laughs> but when you can actually use animations to kind of convey this in a way that is almost in a conversational tone, like, you know, like something fades in, you know, very nice and pleasant. It's like, hey, you forgot this thing or it's this cue here or even... You know, when you type something in and, you know, something's just updating in real time, but it's animating as you go along and kind of guiding the user along this experience is it almost you're giving your application a personality. And micro interactions are very, very important to really nailing down, especially on an application level. And it's an opportunity to, one, increase the user experience, but when things appear to work better, in their minds, in the user's mind, it simply does. And so there's a whole, you know, UX kind of discussion on that. But my, Microactions is a massive opportunity to start applying animations and increase the experience for your users. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. 
Anyways, word you were saying, carry on, my friend. I was thinking about that, that bit about moving things on, and one of the things that we all hate are you press save, and then it up comes an alert box that says, did you mean to save? And it's like, yeah, of course, that's why I pressed the save button. And so... <laughs> Uh, and so we've tried to get rid of some of these modals, and now we go to auto-saving, and, and now uh, we've gone so much to moving them that we don't really have the, the kind of comforting confirmation that something good happened, you know, uh, like it actually did auto-save or it did do something in the background that I'd like, like to know. I don't want you to interrupt my flow. And so I, I can imagine, uh, I was just thinking uh, when Jack was talking about the, the subtle kind of op, uh, animation opportunities there, and I think that ties in what you're talking about, Lucas, also that sort of micro-interaction thing where it's just you're getting that nudge that, that over time makes you feel like things are good, and then when you, if things aren't good, then you'll notice that they're missing, and you'll wonder why, and then you'll go find out why, that kind of thing. It's, it, it sounds pretty subtle, and I'd love to have a bag of these tricks around that I could know about and use. Are, there, are those around? Ward, if I could interrupt just a quick sec, I think what you're kind of getting at is similar to what I was going to ask, and that's, you know, a lot of times people don't really know what animations to use, when and where, to help the workflow. That's it, John. So why you know, did you just uh-huh. say that the first time? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's good. They don't know what they don't know. And how do we, is there anything besides a list of, you know, here is the entrance animation, the, the zoom animation, the bounce animation. I mean, is there any kind of like recommendations of here's how you can make your workflow easier if you use this in this situation and so on and so forth? That sounds a lot like the, uh, you know, Google's attempt at the, you know, the material design, which is like a, an animation language of sorts, you know, visual language where, you know, and I think that's a great idea to have that in, in your projects where it's like, you know, here's the style we're going for. Here's the personality of our app. And how does that affect, you know, our submit buttons? How does that affect, you know, when modal windows pop up or don't pop up or, you know, you know, alerts, how should we handle that? How should things animate in? And it would be critical to have that be very consistent across the board in your animation or in your application. So as far as there being uh, things you can just sprinkle in, we don't necessarily have things like that that are pre-baked, but I I have heard of of other things out there. In fact, I believe on this podcast there's mention of a library out there. Lucas, you might I think it was you who who mentioned it at one point where there's there's some kind of canned effects that leverage GSAP. Uh, that's NGFX by uh, my BFF, Scott Moss. There you and go. And I will paste the link in here, and we'll put this in the podcast notes. So you mentioned material design, which I think is interesting. And just to be clear, there's material design, and then there's also angular material design. Material design, as I understand it, is basically a set of guidelines and principles on how to do these kind of animations. Do I have that correct? Um, I think so. I'm no expert on that, so I don't want to act like I am. But that's, you know, I, I think that's... My understanding as well, yes. Yeah, and I'm kind of looking at the site, and it does. It's more the design side of things. You know, what does motion mean? What does bold and graphic mean? Uh, kind of how that all works. I think that's interesting. And, and just to throw another side of that is angular material design, as I understand it, is basically an implementation of material design for mm-hmm. angular. Where does that fit in with kind of what you guys are doing with GreenSock? Well, I would say that GreenSock is an engine that could drive the actual implementation of whatever you decide your animations should look like. So at some point, you know, you might say, well, our, our button should animate to be 
green when this happens and then wiggle when that happens and then, you know, whatever. Or we want this transition to happen in between states. What well, point you have to build that? And is it going to be CSS animations, CSS transitions? Are you going to use GSAP? As, you know, what, what are you going to use to do it? And GreenSock would be a tool that you could use to make those things happen in the browser. So my last question for you is then, if somebody on a team is looking at building an application and wants to use animations properly, where would you point them? Would you point them at Material Design with Angular, assuming it's Angular, uh, Material Design with Angular, at GreenSock? Is there a website? What's kind of the, the one-stop shop that you would send people to first? Well, it depends on what you mean by done properly. Because, you know, I'm more of a technician and I my brain immediately goes to properly implemented so that it works across the board in all browsers. But when, you know, some people might mean done properly in the sense that, you know, design-wise, it makes sense. Yeah, and I kind and, of mean both. I mean performance-wise and user experience design-wise. Yeah. I don't know of, you know, nothing's coming to the, the top of my head right now for a, you know, go-to resource for that type of thing. Does anybody else on the show have a, an idea? Mm. No, that's why I asked. <laughs> I was hoping you knew. <laughs> I wish. I wish it was out there. I'm not aware of anything exactly that's like that. That's called opportunity right there. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people lack is they, I think they focus on one or the other. Like I have teams that work on creative design and they build the right design, but then actually implementing that sometimes is difficult. And then I've got teams who do the technical implementation of the animations, and sometimes that's not the design that the creative teams want. <laughs> so marrying those two together is often um, more difficult than I have hoped it would be. Yep, I hear you. Need to find that unicorn out there that's the hybrid <laughs> of the perfect designer and the you know he's got the technical chops to do all the stuff. The green unicorn. There you go. Green side. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So I'm a little curious. I've been poking around your website, and there's this no-charge GreenSock license. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to talk a little bit about licensing? Sure. Yeah, so this is uh, something that we're going to be writing about soon. So there's the, the no-charge license, which is you know one of the goals of the project was to have it be very accessible. So we don't want to erect these barriers so that you know many people think of in terms of Am I using this for personal use or commercial use? Because many licenses out there will allow you to do it for free if it's only for personal use. But then as soon as you make any money off of it, then you have to get the commercial license. And that's not how GreenSock works. The no charge license applies to even commercial projects that um, are charged where you charge one company or individual. So let's say that, you know, Nike hires you to build the next Nike.com and they pay you some crazy sum of money. You know, you get a million dollars for building this website and you use GreenSock all over the place. That's fine. That the no charge license applies there. But we also, like I said earlier, we wanted to protect, we wanted to have some kind of funding mechanism that would protect it from the vulnerabilities of open source, of many open source projects. And so we did that by having a commercial license for a very particular type of use where you're using it and you're charging end users, multiple end users, for the use of your app or game or site or whatever. So think about a, uh, you know, a game in the app store. That would be something that you need the commercial license for. And that is, you know, we, we tie that in with our club green sock. So if, you know, there's three different levels 
there's simply green, shockingly green, and business green. And you know, obviously different prices, but the business green one comes with not only a bunch of extra plugins that allow you to do some fancy stuff, but also the commercial license uh, so that you can use it in those games and apps that you're charging multiple end users for. Cool. So the other question I have, and this harks way back, but you brought it up again. You mentioned mobile mobile apps. So uh-huh. can you use GreenSock in like Ionic or other hybrid mobile apps? Anything that JavaScript is involved with, you can use GreenSock. So I know that there are plenty of people that use it in apps that are kind of compiled down, um, like a, you know Cordova, or I know there are other ones out there that will ultimately spit out a native application, and they use GreenSock in that. So as long as JavaScript lives there, GreenSock should be able to be just fine. All right. Well, um, unless there's anything else, we'll go ahead and get to the picks. John, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. I have a completely non-technical pick because I just got back from a two-week vacation where I never touched my laptop. And my pick is, man, you all should do that at some point. Take a vacation, go with your family, put down the computers, don't think about Angular, Adventures in Angular, Green Sock, or Ward Bale's Outfits. Just Impossible. take your time and chill out. <laughs> what are you talking so about? so refreshed at this point. It's, it's the best thing I've done all year. So definitely take a vacation and actually do the vacation. Wonderful. All right. Lucas, do you have some picks for us? So I have two picks. The first one is going to seem a bit obvious, but it's Green Sock Animation Platform. I love it. I'm a huge fan. I've written about it a ton. I've shot videos. Greensock.com. If you haven't tried it, give it a spin. Literally. Uh, my second pick is the book Micro Interactions by Dan Safer, I believe is how you pronounce it. And it's a really, really great book about micro interactions and it's full color and very informative about how you can start to integrate these kind of feedback mechanisms into your application. Very cool. Joe, do you have some picks for us? You bet. Uh, my first pick is a book. It's called Beautiful Outlaw. And the book is about uh, Christ, and it's a book about the fact that he had a personality and analyzing what that personality was like and his uh, talking about that through scriptural evidence. So if you happen to be interested in that subject, I found it to be very interesting and presenting him as a more approachable figure rather than some very distant, unknowable, incomprehensible thing. So I really enjoyed that book. Uh, I'm in the middle of reading it. I've greatly enjoyed what I've read so far. My other pick is going to be GOG.com. I'm not really sure what it stands for, if it stands for anything. Anyway, it's a website. Good old games. Good old games. Ah, thank you. I recently picked up a couple of games that I just absolutely loved from decades past. Star Wars Rebellion, one of my favorite real-time strategy games of all time, and Wasteland 1, which is way, way back And I was playing that just because Wasteland 2 came out recently and I was thinking about it and I wanted to play it. And it's just great because you can play those really old games on a modern computer and they're super cheap. So GOG.com, that's my other pick. All right, Ward, you have some picks for us? Well, uh, (laughs) 
I didn't get ready with those. Um, because, as John suggested, I took a micro vacation, which means that I just ran in the door after coming off the mountain uh, trying out a, a hammock, sleeping in a hammock. So, hey, there, maybe that's my pick. If you're an outdoorsy type and you haven't slept in a hammock, check it out. <laughs> awesome. I've got a couple of picks myself. Um, I think I mentioned at the top of the show the remoteconfs.com. So if you want to get talks from the remote conferences, you want them in an RSS feed, go check it out, remoteconfs.com. It's funny that Joe picked what he picked because I was going to pick God because I feel that he's pretty involved in my life and I have to give him a lot of credit for what uh, I feel like I've been able to accomplish. And I think he's pretty awesome. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to pick Jesus as well. If you want to find out more about what my beliefs are, and uh, about the church that I belong to, you can go to lds.org and check it all out. You can also get more information. You can have the missionaries come visit you. You can get a Book of Mormon there for free, all kinds of good stuff. So anyway, go check that out. Jack, what are your picks? Well, that's tough to follow. I'm a, I'm a huge uh, Christ fan my, myself. So my picks, I, I guess I'll, I'll make Jesus my, my number one pick. But I, you know, what I have written down here was... CodePen, actually. We use CodePen all the time. You know, Chris, Corey is, Chris Coyer is involved in that, and his, his team is, is awesome. And, you know, in, in the forums, we, we just use them constantly. So it's a great tool. Love it. Try it out if you haven't. And then the second one that I had here is Seth Godin. Pretty much anything he writes, I just find pretty inspiring. And, you know, he talks about getting your art out there into the world and not obsessing about it being perfect, and a lot of people hide behind the fact that, hey, you know, this thing isn't perfectly polished, and there will be some haters out there, and so I want to protect myself from uh, being hated. And, you know, it just kind of pushes you. Uh, he's got a daily blog, and I, you know, I, I find myself consistently challenged and inspired, um, where he's like, you know what, your, your stuff, your art is not going to be for everybody, and that's okay. Don't use that as an excuse and put it out there anyway, because the world needs it. I totally want to second that pick. Seth's awesome. Yeah, I love his stuff. All right, well, if people want to find out more about you or about Greensock or animations or anything like that, where should they go? What should they do? Uh, just check out greensock.com and, uh, you know, Twitter or at Greensock. And, uh, yeah, there's tons of resources that are linked on our site there. So just greensock.com. Awesome. All right, well, I think we're done. So uh, thank you for coming. I appreciate it, guys. It's been an honor. Hooray! This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreakShow.com slash form. 